Well, good morning again, everybody. How many of y'all were blessed by that wonderful worship time this morning? Wasn't that just great? Man, <clears throat> this is why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, because there are some things that God's people can only get when they gather together. You cannot replicate anywhere at any time what we're doing here today. You can't do it out on a rock overlooking a lake somewhere. You can't do it sitting in front of a television. You can only do it when God's people gather together for family worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Good, good stuff this morning. Once again, welcome to those of you who are with us online today and wherever you may be. Let's take a copy of God's Word and be finding the fourth gospel this morning, the gospel of John, John chapter number 10. I'm going to look fundamentally at one very familiar verse and then another very familiar chapter this morning as we think along the lines this morning of Jesus, the life-giving shepherd. Some time ago, I was reading a newspaper article while I was traveling. I was having breakfast in the <clears throat> little breakfast area of the hotel, reading a copy of the local paper, and there was an article there that indicated that the state of California was trying to track down some people who were owed life insurance proceeds that they didn't know they had coming to them. It appears that many people in that state and probably in other states as well either did not know that a given insurance policy even existed, or if they did know that it existed, they had no idea they were named as a, a beneficiary. And according to the article, the state of California was trying to deliver over $300 million in unclaimed insurance proceeds to their rightful owners. Apparently, it's not always easy to give money away, though. It took the state officials several months to deliver a an insurance payout of $20,000 to a lady. They had sent her several notices from the state in the mail only to receive no reply. And finally, when somebody visited her home, she didn't want to let them in. And when the truth was revealed, she thought that all of that was a scam. Amen. She thought it was all phony baloney. Somebody was trying to get her money and she wanted nothing to do with it. And it was all the state officials could do to get her to take the $20,000 that was rightfully hers. I tried to find out the name of that woman because I knew somebody that was willing to take it if she didn't want it. Amen. I mean, can you imagine having resources at your disposal, but living as though no such thing actually existed? You know, from a spiritual perspective, I know a lot of people live that way today, too. Even people who say they know the Lord. But the Bible teaches that if you're connected rightly to God <clears throat> through Jesus Christ, you have an absolute wealth of spiritual blessings at your disposal. You are, as it were, named as a beneficiary in God's eternal and divine will. Did you know that? All kinds of heavenly blessings belong to all of God's people, and yet so many of them live as if that's some kind of scam as if it's not actually a real thing. People by the thousands are totally unaware of the kind of life that Jesus Christ came into this world to make available to them. The Bible calls it abundant life. 
And the Bible also calls it eternal life. Jesus, in the heart of his ministry, summarized at least part of the reason why he came to earth at all. In one of the Bible's best-known verses, it's John 10.10. I memorized it when I was a boy years ago. And I memorized it in the King James. Somebody say amen this morning. Here's the way I memorized it. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The English Standard Bible says it a little more simply. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy I came, Jesus says, that they might have life and have it what? Would you say it out loud? Have it abundantly. Now that statement right there from John 10.10 gets to the heart of a basic question about Jesus, namely, why did Jesus come? And to be honest with you, there's no one single way to answer that question because as you read the pages, particularly of the New Testament, in addition to some of the prophetic Old Testament passages that deal with the coming of the Lord, there are several possible ways. I mean, I could go out through the audience this morning with a mic in hand like Phil Donahue used to do, and why, why did Jesus come? And I might get four or five or six different answers, and here's the thing, they may all be right, because there's not one single way to properly answer that question. For example, we know from the Bible that Jesus came to save us. Would that be a true statement? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to save us from our sins. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, the saying is trustworthy. In other words, that's Paul's way of saying, here's something you can take to the bank. Deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Would you say it out loud? To save sinners. So there it is right there. That's one reason why Jesus came. Christmas is the celebration of a divine rescue mission. Jesus came by his own testimony to seek and to save that which was lost. But then we also know from scripture that Jesus came not only to save, Jesus came to serve us. Jesus is a servant at heart. He said, later on in the gospel of John, the one who follows me, this is the one who serves me. He said about himself, Mark 10, 45, a verse that we've mentioned often here at Hillcrest. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give. And he gives an example of the ultimate way that he serves his people, to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was, first of all, a Savior. He came to save us. But then secondly, we also find out that Jesus is a servant. He is a Savior who serves. He serves others. He invests in others. He sacrificed for others. And he did it, Paul says in Philippians, to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. But then there's another reason why Jesus came, and it forms the basis of what Jesus is saying here in John 10.10. Jesus came to save us. He came to serve us. But also Jesus came to supply us. I am come that they might have what? <clears throat> Life. And that they might have it more what? Abundantly. He came to supply us. He came to provide for us. He came to fill us with all kinds of things, the scriptures will say. That word abundant there is one of the most important words of the New Testament. It's a word that means plentiful. 
We all know what abundance is. We live in the United States of America, which is a prototypical land of abundance. And because of the number of attics we have and the number of storage barns we have and the fact that we use our garages not to park our multi-thousand dollar cars, but to pile up our supply of junk most of the time, we all can testify that we live in a land of plenty. And that's the kind of life that Jesus came to provide for us, a full life, a, a plentiful life, a complete life, a purposeful life, so that you can know kind of where you came from and, and, and why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing with your life and how you should be investing your life and what should really matter, what are the most important things in life. So one of the things that I really love more uh, than anything else just about, than be, about being a Christian is that I can fulfill all of the answers to all of life's basic questions that people are running around searching trying to find answers to. I can know who I am. I can know who God is. I can know where I've come from. I can know why I'm here. I can know what I'm supposed to be doing. I can know what it is I'm supposed to believe, and I can know why all of that matters. And most importantly, I can know what happens to me when I die. That's what we're talking about when we talk about living an abundant life, a full life, a purposeful life, a complete life, a fulfilling life. But the abundant life is also an eternal life lived in the age to come in a beautiful place, an unending place, an undying place. However we define it, the first thing that you need to know about abundant life is simply this. Y'all with me? Say amen. It all starts with Jesus. You can, you can have proverbially fatted bank accounts, investments accounts. You can, you can be a success as the world defines success ten times over. But you cannot live the abundant life without a connection to Jesus Christ. It's impossible because that's what he came to provide for your life. <clears throat> it all starts with Jesus. And it's impossible to have it without a connection to him. Now, here in John chapter 10, if you go back up a few verses and you read the larger passage of the first part of the 10th chapter of John, you know that the overarching image of John 10 is that of the shepherd, a shepherd who leads his sheep. Look, for example, in verse number 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is Jesus, the good shepherd, who came to guide his sheep, guard his sheep, lay down his life for the sheep. For our purposes today, he came fundamentally to feed his sheep. Did you know that in the eyes of God, you are a sheep if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You are one. Sheep, as you may well know, and I, I don't know what you think about that, but if I qualify it by saying sheep are not very smart animals, uh, you might not like it so much. I mean, we think of sheep and we think cute and warm and cuddly, right? All those wonderful things. And we have images of taking our kids to the petting zoo and letting them feed the sheep. I feel like when I'm saying all of that, I'm kind of bawing at the same time. And I didn't intend to do that. It just kind of came out that way. 
But sheep really are not very smart animals. In fact, some even say that of all the animal kingdoms, sheep have the lowest animal IQ of all. They cannot forage for their own food. If you, if you leave sheep to themselves, they'll just wander aimlessly for hours, not knowing where they're going or why they're going there. Oftentimes, they'll wander into dangerous situations. Some people have even told of accounts of sheep walking straightway into open fires. Just walk right into an open fire. No real sense of danger. They have no real inner compass. No way to defend themselves from attack. Sheep are totally defenseless animals. In fact, some have even used that as an argument against Darwinian evolutionary theory, arguing that if evolution were true and survival of the fittest were an absolute, sheep would have been gone a long time ago. Whether or not that's true, one thing is for sure, sheep have to be led or they will surely die. And there is a reason that God's people are often compared to sheep in the Bible. Because like it or not, y'all still with me? Amen? We're not very smart. Even when we have very high IQs, sometimes we're not real bright. We don't always know where the best nourishment is. That's true especially of Baptists who eat way too much fried food. You don't know where to find the best nourishment, physically or spiritually. And I just wonder this morning, the people I'm speaking to, have you ever walked headlong into a wildfire? I have. Totally unintentionally. Sometimes you can walk into a wildfire actually thinking that you're doing a good thing, only to find that it was one of the foolish decisions you made in your life. All we, you finish the sentence. Everybody ready? Finish the sentence. All we, like sheep, have, yeah, that's all of us. Which is why at Christmas time we need to be reminded that our greatest need is a shepherd who will lead us and love us, rescue us from danger, take us to a place of abundance so that we can know our potential and then fulfill our true potential, which can only be found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and of course, the shepherd that God has given us for that very purpose is Jesus Christ himself. He defines himself here in this passage of Scripture in verse number 11, making it clear in the first, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 verses of John 10, exactly who he is and what he'd come to do. In fact, look at John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. So Jesus doesn't even leave it to chance. He wants to make it clear that you understand who he's talking about in this critically important passage of Scripture. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the only one that can lead you well. I'm the only one that can fill your life with abundance. I'm the only one that can ultimately keep you from danger now and throughout eternity. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But not everyone, Jesus says, has the best intentions for the sheep. Verse 8, all who came before me are what? Thieves and robbers. Now, it's totally coincidental that I'm talking about thieves two Sundays in a row, right? And here we are back to thieves. And again, thieves are never spoken of well in the Bible. 
All who came before me, Jesus says, are thieves and robbers. And that's a, refer a reference to what the King James Bible calls hi hirelings, what we would simply call false shepherds, false teachers, phony baloney preachers who are all about themselves. When Jesus uses the term here, he's using it in a spiritual sense. When he talks about all who came before me are thieves and robbers, he's not using it in a literal sense. He's using it in a spiritual sense to describe a group of people that we now know as scribes and Pharisees. The thief, the false shepherds. Many times we identify the sheep as the devil here in John 10.10. 10. I don't think that's a right interpretation. Although the devil's behind all that mess that false teachers are preaching and teaching. No, the thieves that Jesus is talking about here are those who would come before him or in our contemporary world, those who are still here now in abundance that are not preaching the pure gospel. Because what they're doing by preaching a compromised gospel or a false gospel or a Christ plus gospel is they're leading the sheep into an open fire. They're leading the sheep to desert places where they cannot properly feed, where they can't get the truth. The thief, false shepherds, false teachers, those men and women, they come to steal and to kill and to destroy, though they would deny it with their dying breath. That's what they're doing. Leading people into the fire, leading people off the cliff. Jesus called it the blind, leading the blind. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And the lesson there, brothers and sisters, y'all still with me? Amen? The lesson there is you better be careful who you follow. You better be careful who you follow. In a world of competing voices where everybody claims the truth, or if they don't claim the truth, they will simply championing you living according to your truth. So the truth really doesn't have any meaning to most people today. A lot of thieves out there. And they'll all promise to take you places that look lush. But there won't be any nourishment there. You'll end up wasted away and, and ruined. I read about a company in Australia one time that formed a, a type of bread. There are many of us that just seem to be hungry all the time. And the older I get, the more hungry all the time I seem to be. And they form this bread. It just has almost no nutritional value whatsoever. And the thing about that bread is you can eat as much of it as you want. And you won't put on the weight. Isn't that amazing? I need about a thousand loaves of that bread. Right? But here's the thing. If that's the only thing that you ate, you would feel full all of the time and eventually die of starvation. And there are lots of people that think that they're getting a steady diet of spiritual truth. And it makes them feel good. It makes them feel good about themselves. It makes them feel good about the decisions. It makes them feel good about doing what they ultimately want to do with their life. And yet they can't understand why they still feel dry and, and barren and anemic. It's because they're eating food that has no nutritional value spiritually whatsoever. That comes from the thief whose motive is to 
steal and to kill and to destroy. But the gospel, on the other hand, gives life. The gospel gives abundant life. And it comes through this vital connection with the one the Bible calls the good shepherd who's demonstrated just how much he loves you by laying down his life and dying on the cross for you. Those hirelings and false shepherds aren't going to do anything of the such. They want to profit off of you. They want to gain off of you. Christ wants you to gain from him. He's the good shepherd. And he promises a part of life with him is being led constantly to the best pasture where you can feast in abundance and never go hungry. Jesus said it this way in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Y'all believe that this morning? I do. He's proven it true to me all of my life. And you know, as I say all of that, I can't help but to be reminded this morning talking about Jesus as the good shepherd and leading sheep and protecting sheep and helping them to find pasture. Does that remind you all of any great passage in the Bible? Reminds me of the great 23rd Psalm, doesn't it? The most beloved Psalm of all 150 of them. It's called the Shepherd's Psalm, which of course is a picture of Jesus. I've always believed that the 23rd Psalm is somewhat of a messianic psalm and that it sets up who Jesus is and what he came to do. It was verified by Jesus here in John 10 when he describes himself as the good shepherd. And in this 23rd Psalm, most memorized psalm in the Bible, one of the most memorized passages in the Bible, we're reminded of four things about our good shepherd that really help us to better understand this abundant life that Jesus was born to provide. One is that Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to the provision of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. This is one of the great reminders of our Lord's constant providing care for the sheep who belong to him. Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to fertile pasture. He leads us to places where we can feed and where we can grow. One of the sad things about Western Christianity is that over time, Christians in the prosperous West have inter uh, interpreted abundant life to mean the abundance of things. Christ will give me an abundance of money, an abundance of things, an abundance of stuff, big houses, fancy cars, nicest clothes. But as you read the New Testament closely, the one thing that Jesus seems never to promise his followers is material wealth. You don't find Jesus promising. He promises to meet all of our what? All of our needs. He doesn't promise to make us material, uh, materially wealthy. Now, he promises some degree of wealth, but just not a lot of it. In fact, quite the opposite. Isn't that right? He's usually telling us to what? To do what as it relates to wealth? Beware of it. No man can serve two masters. Lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth. Beware of all forms of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. It's not that it's a sin to be materially wealthy, but the whole point of the gospel is that this world isn't our home. And we're not supposed to be fixated on it. We ought to have a, an eternal perspective. And where do we find our joy? 
Not in property or money or houses or, or land. We are supposed to find our joy and our contentment in the simplicity of a life lived in constant communion with Jesus Christ as we walk this planet. With Jesus reminding us, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. That's right. And the thing about money is it can't buy lasting happiness. I mean, it can buy a lot of things, but it, I mean, it can buy an abundance of things, but money can't buy an abundant life. You kind of like need Jesus for that. The abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment, even when you don't have a lot of material goods. My God will supply all your need. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads us to the provision of God. Second, we find that Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to the peace of God. Brad led us in a time of prayer for peace just a moment ago in our worship time. And it's a reminder of what's said here in Psalm 23 too. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside what? Still waters, quiet waters. He restores uh, my soul. If I have trouble sleeping at night, I'll go on YouTube and I'll put the buds in my ear and I'll click on one of those videos that runs for about nine straight hours of a babbling brook. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all got machines that you keep at the side of the bed. I mean, how is this for a peaceful verse? He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside quiet. He restores my soul. Tranquility, peace, calm, rest. You can download on your phone or on your smart device the Calm app. Calm. And it's got all kinds of sounds and music and things of that nature and quiet voices designed to get your blood pressure down when it's spiking sky high. You really, I mean, all that's good stuff, and I use it too, but we really ought not need it because we've got Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. We live in a world marked by constant stress. We've experienced more stress, most of us, in 2020 than in any year we can ever remember since the late 1960s, and I was too young to remember it then. Tough times. And in tough times, what we need most of all is peace tranquility. And it's what you have when you follow the good shepherd. You have it. You have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's carried away our sins. As far as east is from the west, he's removed them from us, given us the gift of forgiveness and depositing in our life the very righteousness of Christ, which enables us, because of his work on the cross, to be reconciled to God. We have peace with God. But not only that, we have the peace of God. As we follow Jesus, he gives us, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I unto you. My peace I give to you. That's the image of Psalm 23. Peace in the midst of the storm. So what Paul called in Philippians 4, the peace that passes all what? 
understanding, one that will guard your hearts and minds like a sentry guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is abundant life, having peace with God, living in the peace of God. Jesus leads us to the provision of God. Jesus leads us to the peace of God. Third, Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to the purpose of God. He leads me, verse 3, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Wasn't uncommon in Jesus' day, and it's not uncommon now to find uh, what's known as communal sheepfolds all throughout the Middle East. Communal sheepfolds. In other words, there'll be more than one flock herded into uh, what we would <clears throat> commonly call a stall together. Multiple shepherds, multiple flocks, all of them in the stall intermingling together. I've seen them just about every time I've been to the Middle East. And in those communal pens, several herds together, and you think that's just a recipe for chaos. Then the sun comes up the next morning, and an amazing thing happens. One shepherd after another gives a very specific call, and those sheep just begin to winnow out. One shepherd calls, here come a few sheep, and they'll all just, and everybody else, all the other sheep will just stay. Then the other shepherd calls, here come a few more sheep. They'll go over to where? He is, all until that sheepfold is completely emptied out. All of the sheep following their shepherds. No mistakes, no wrong turns. The shepherd knows his sheep, has names for most of them in the ancient Near East. And the sheep know the shepherd. They'll follow that voice wherever he takes them. Now that's what Jesus wants to do with you. Again, John 15, verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and the sheep, what? Follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Listen, when you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, and you hear a, a hireling or a false teacher preaching out on the street somewhere or on Christian television or you're visiting a church or whatever and you hear a false teacher bringing a false or compromised gospel, there's always going to be a check in your spirit. It's going to be a voice that you as a follower of the Good Shepherd do not recognize. And you all wonder why in the world we say, get a Bible reading plan, read the Word of God, because this is Christ's spiritual leadership to His sheep. What is his voice? How about right here? How about the word of God? How about the voice of the spirit of God who indwells every believer who's a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? We hear the voice of Christ through the word of Christ and we hear the voice of Christ through the spirit of Christ who indwells every genuine believer. And that's how you can know fact from fiction in the kingdom of God as long as you're not ignoring the voice of the good shepherd. Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm just saying only in Christ can you know the answers to those questions we talked about most, uh, a few minutes ago. Who God is, who you are, where you came from, 
why you're here, and what's going to happen when you die. The voice of the good shepherd will communicate all of those critical life answers to everyone who follows him. Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to the provision of God, to the peace of God, to the purpose of God, and then finally, Jesus is a good shepherd who leads us to the protection of God, which is a critical role for the shepherd. He has to look out for the life of the sheep. Ravenous wolves lurk all around us, and Jesus is a shepherd who protects his sheep even to the point of laying down his own life. Look at verse 4 of this familiar psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What? Forever. Beautiful words. Provision and protection, safety and satisfaction, now and throughout all eternity. That's what you're promised. When you know the good shepherd and when you commit to follow the good shepherd. Now let me say as we conclude this morning, I don't want you to have any mistaken notions. The world that we live in right now in case you hadn't figured it out yet, is not heaven. We are not there yet. This world is not our home, and the reason it's not our home is because this world is not heaven. Tough times will come for believers. Bad things will happen to believers. But when they do, just remember, this is a transient life that we're living in right now. The world is temporary. It's passing away. Bad things won't last forever, and they don't have to rob you of your joy. The thief comes to kill, kill and to steal and to destroy. That's the motivation. But Jesus says that the sheep who follow the good shepherd will what? Never perish. Never perish. You know what the word never perish means in the Greek New Testament? It means never perish. Jesus says, my sheep know me and I know my sheep and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, for I am the good shepherd who's laid down his life for the sheep. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What's important today is that you're able to answer this question. Can you say of Jesus Christ, the Lord is my shepherd? That may be the most important question you're faced with because this is where abundant and eternal life begins right here. And brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus came. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And now... We're ready to say it all together. Let's say the 23rd Psalm as we conclude our time of preaching this morning. It's on the screen if you need it in the King James Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Merry Christmas to all, and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Put your hands together and let's praise the Lord. 